Hello, and welcome to a free preview of Greatest of All Talk. That's what I mean. I mean, it's the strangest vibes you could have for a 64-point game. Dude, think about that. There hasn't been that many 64-point games in NBA history by anybody, and you know, none of them are ending in such a, a negative, horrible fashion. I'm with you. Giannis was incredibly unsettled during the bubble. He feels that same level of unsettled. It's just easy to kind of pick. He gets edgy. You know, he's just like his body language is different. It kind of feels like that time period, and I don't know what's causing it. Maybe it is frustration with the coaching staff. Maybe the the things aren't being ironed out, um, you know, within the teammate groups. But it's so funny because we always use that cliche, oh, there's only one ball, right? Yeah. Well, there was only one ball for Giannis and Dame and poor Oscar. And they actually had two of them, but somebody <laughs> had to come up short. And, you know, that's why we have to go back to one of the great rap albums of all time, the mm. Bible for our solutions, don't you think? Nothing but heat from start to finish, from the book of Genesis to whatever the Bible finishes with. I didn't spend enough time on uh, Sunday yeah. school. Oh, I, I think it's outro is the last one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Outro. Uh, oh, boy. All right. Well, to keep it moving, uh, Fritz says, Sharp's take recently about starting a fund to get Clay to retire was an amazing take as a lifelong Warriors fan. I've watched some bad teams, but this season, it, this season's iteration of the Warriors is depressing in a weird way that reminds me of the San Francisco Giants in the five to seven years after their dynasty in the early 2010s. As a Warriors fan, I will always love Klay Thompson and Draymond Green. They're 2A and 2B behind Steph in terms of my favorite Warriors of all time. But dear God, this is getting hard to watch. It hurts seeing these pillars of our dynasty playing like this. Clay is so clearly washed and unwilling to accept it. And Draymond is just absolutely out of control. Steph can still be the best player on a title team in my eyes and probably can be for another one to three years, but definitely not with this roster around him. So that's a sampling of a number of depressing emails we fielded from Warriors fans over the last 72 hours. Um, on the heels of that email, I have a question for you. On a scale of 1 to 10, how likely is it that the following players will be on the Warriors next year? Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, Andrew Wiggins, and then I'm including Steve Kerr, who's not a player, but also does not have a contract extension. Uh, scale of one to 10, those four, what do you have for me? 10 being their back or, you know, you got to give me some. 10, you know, 10 what's the... good, good question. Um, 10 being their back and, and on the Warriors <laughs> alongside Steph Curry. One being they are going to be elsewhere next year. Well, this feels like an organization right now that's in paralysis. So I think you could make a strong argument that they're just going to be stuck and that mm -hmm. there's going to be more of these guys back than you think because they're going to just sort of have uh, overwhelmed by the amount of decisions that they have to make. Mike Dunleavy Jr. has no track record. How is he going to handle this? It's just absolutely just disastrous brew that's been dropped into his lap. And unless Steph is the one who's saying change, 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 their default setting to this point has been to bring everyone back. Um, Kerr seems relatively invigorated still to me. Doesn't seem like he's mailing it in. Uh, doesn't seem like he's dealing with the health issues like he did a few years ago. So I feel like he's going to be back. Um, I think with Wiggins... It's been such a weird journey in Golden State. I think there's an awful lot of temptation to just say, let's try to ride out this rut and just hope that he can somehow kind of, uh, you know, 
uh, rediscover his joy for the game and his energy level and his buy-in and that if we change some of these other pieces it can still work with him I think trying to sell low on Wiggins right now would be a really bad decision so I would put Kerr probably at like a nine to come back okay I would put Wiggins at like an eight to come back now it gets much more interesting with Draymond and Clay. With Draymond, you have to take into account the fact he just signed a contract. His trade value is not very good right now. So you have to decide, do you want to just be done with the problems? Do you want to go from saying, we're so leveraged on Draymond, we can't win without him, we're going to give him all this money, to then turn around and you know send him packing and get basically nothing good in return? Because at this point, if you were going to trade him before the trade deadline, if you could even find some team that's interested he's at zero or negative value as a trade guy. So that could be a problem they're stuck with. And I I led it with this because I think the most likely guy to be gone of this group next year is Clay. Mm -hmm. And I would put him at like a three because the size of the discount he's going to have to give the Warriors to come back is going to be massive. There's going to be so much expectations and pressure about trying to retool things elsewhere. Um, unless they were able to trade Wiggins for good value and bring back Clay on a really good number, I don't think that he'll still be there. So um, I think that they're really boxed in. This is not a fun uh, spot to be in. I would like to give a big shout out to Bob Myers for hitting the eject button at the exact right <laughs> moment. Um, yeah. And you know he gets on TV and tries to defend the Warriors and say everything's fine. He's trying to stand up for his guys when Charles Barkley is trolling him. And he is so absolutely unconvincing with any of it. It's like he's not a good enough liar. <laughs> he's just like, sorry, don't believe anything you're saying, Bob Myers, about the Golden State Warriors. So long story short, I actually think next year's team will look surprisingly like this year's team. But I do think the big three will get broken up. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I, I, Mike Dunleavy, as we were podcasting here, was at Media Day or some uh, availability, uh, and he says, the bigger impact on our decisions will be how we do the next 15 to 20 games. That will determine where we go more than this specific incident. Of course, referring to the Draymond Green suspension. I think your but point, really? the, the lack of <laughs> options will be what's determinative, honestly. Right. Well, like, I don't well, know what you're getting you. for Clay or Draymond if you make them available. Right. So what's going to change 15, 20 games from now in terms of the trade value of these guys that we're talking about? So is he saying if they just go into the tank, then it's going to be a fire sale and they're just going to get rid of everybody and try to hard pivot? Because there's no way they're going to play so well the next 15 or 20 games that they're going to become some big-time buyers, right? Like, I think Chris Paul could easily be traded. It probably will be traded by the deadline. I never really believed in that fit. Um, Doesn't really make any sense now when they're kind of languishing in the standings. Um, I think they have to get cheaper. So I could Mm -hmm. see them just trying to dump some of the salary so they can pay less uh, luxury tax because the team's going nowhere. But... Is there anything? Let's see if Mike Dunleavy Jr. is lying to us like Bob Myers. Is there anything in the next 15 or 20 games that's going to increase these guys' trade value and give them more real options? Yeah, I know. I think that's the the biggest question. And I mean, you and I sitting here today can say, nah, not sure that story is going to change no matter what you do over the next six weeks. Um, so I think it, it's an important <laughs> point in all these discussions about what the Warriors are going to look like. I, however, scale of one to 10, I would go one 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 i don't think clay is gonna be there i don't think draymond's gonna be there i don't think kerr is gonna be there and i think wiggins he's the only guy they can really trade 
and trick somebody out there into giving up something of value. I think that might be doable when you get to the summer. There are teams out there who might be willing to talk themselves into a Wiggins renaissance. He needs to change the scenery. We've seen him do it on the biggest stage, which we have. Like He was really useful for them a couple years ago. Um, So that's the only chip they have to, to, to play, really. I don't think people are buying into that shit because I think people are saying he did that because he joined the Warriors when it was in a really good yeah, spot. Yeah, that would be my Steph. response. Yeah, like how many other franchises are talking themselves into that? I don't see it. Um, let me ask you, though. So why would Kerr leave if they're blowing everything else up? Because what you're describing, I could see that scenario happening. I think it's less likely, but I could see they... Mike Dunleavy Jr. is here. Um, you know, we're just out with the old, in with the new. It's a new era under Blockhead, the Jesuit <laughs> high school star. Um, Kerr and Steph would be the kind of the continuity faces of that group with a new remade, younger, more athletic, maybe a little bit bigger supporting cast that doesn't have any stars but is trying to kind of build towards something like that. Maybe it would look kind of like LeBron's team when he first got to the Lakers, although they don't have the high-end talent, but it would be kind of a transition year. Yeah, Wouldn't that be appealing to Kerr to just keep getting to ride out with Steph and um, you know, being free from the Draymond thing that's been hanging over him and being free from the, like, we've got to live up to the expectations of the dynasty? Or are you saying he's just burned out and ready to call it quits? Well, or that they're sick of him because they don't think he, he can do it anymore. They need to change the offense or something. Yeah, I, I think it's a combination of those final two factors where I think, number one, he is probably burned out. And if you're Steve Kerr, like they asked him in the wake of that Draymond thing, um, I guess punch, uh, they asked him what he thought of it, and he just looked exhausted on the podium and was like, I haven't even yeah. seen the clip, which is probably not true, but he, he clearly yeah. he, he Super wasn't convincing. <laughs> he wasn't up for defending Draymond in that moment. Like he just didn't well, have he was burned. The, the bandwidth to do that. Yeah. He was burned, well, of cause, course. Because he defended the previous one, the Gobert one. Remember, he came out in his post game and tried to defend Draymond, and then everybody ripped Kerr for doing that because once everyone was looking at the tape and the NBA comes down with the suspension, they're like, Kerr, you just enabled him. You never keep him uh, you know, accountable for anything. And so he didn't want to do that again. I think he really felt like the trust was broken. I think the Warriors, the NBA, everybody, this this was a watershed deal when he goes and smacks Nurkic like that because he had just given the speech two weeks ago how he has to be there for his teammates. He had just not apologized to Gobert. He had just said, I'm going to still be Draymond, blah, blah, blah. They felt like that was supposed to be the thing that kind of pulls him back in by hitting him with that five-game suspension, which was stiffer than most players would get in that situation. Mm -hmm. And it made no impact whatsoever. And he let his guys down within a month, right? So I think that the exhaustion that you're describing – was because they felt like the trust was broken. Like, I, you know, and I don't know if you could put that back together, honestly. Like, I don't know how Draymond kind of comes back from that with the Warriors. And that's why that contract is such a disaster for them now, because it's like, well, we do, we could just suspend him for three and a half years until the contract is over. Like, what do you do here? Because, uh, you know, like he's got to play to rebuild his credibility, right? Like, you know, he's, you've got to be able to see him play elite defense for a month straight and not get ejected before any team would take a risk on him, given how much money is left on his deal. I guess so. I could see a number of contenders around the league talking themselves into Draymond. Now, whether that would be a good decision, I have no idea. Uh, I can think of two. The Mavs Uh, Who's on your list? The Mavs would do it in a Uh, heartbeat. I don't think so. Really? They talk themselves into Kyrie. 
I understand that, but um, to get Draymond, so what's the trade package look like? I saw somebody floating around lively for Draymond. There's no way, like they would way rather have lively. Interesting. I don't know that they would. Uh, oh, I, I would oh. argue they should prefer lively than whatever Draymond's going to be the next three and a half years. Um, I I just feel like they would entertain it because that's just the way they've done business the last ten years or so. But. Um, I, I, in terms of actually if, getting something of real they, value, I don't think that's yeah. really in the cards for the Warriors either. But if they want to shuffle the deck chairs a little bit and get Draymond out of there without just giving him away, I do think that option will be available to them. We'll see. Um, I think with Dallas, like they would have to hit a real rut, you know, where they're starting to feel the desperation like they felt to make that Kyrie trade. They don't make the Kyrie trade if they're 15 and 8 in the three seed like they are right now. You know, mm-hmm. like they were feeling massive pressure last year of like this whole thing is getting away from us. And I don't think if the vibes are actually good and Jason Kidd swearing at reporters and demanding that they give him a credit for how well the team's playing like he did like a week or so ago. Um you don't drop the Draymond nuclear bomb into a good vibe environment. You just that's that's too tricky. Now the two teams I could see potentially doing it are actually the two teams in my hometown <laughs> right now. Yep. I, I I could see the Clippers just like yeah, let's just go. If you know we're in for a penny, we're in for a pound, <laughs> right? Let's go all the way in. Bring Draymond in. Why not? To see if it, you know could possibly work, and if not, the whole thing goes kaboom. Um, And then with the Lakers, we've seen the whole hubris thing with LeBron before uh, with Westbrook. And this would be kind of a similar deal. We've got this elite defense. We've got some movable contracts. Maybe Russell is playing well enough that you can get some team to be interested in him. It always felt like they signed him as a trade piece. The salaries Mm -hmm. are pretty close there. Golden State probably doesn't want Russell back, but maybe you could find a third team there. Um, And then the idea would be like if – Draymond, who just worships LeBron, is on the court next to LeBron. He'll be on his best behavior at all times because he doesn't want to let down his king. I think that's a reasonable argument. Uh, but again, if I was the Lakers, I would really think long and hard about doing that because Draymond's you know quality of play has deteriorated. He has succeeded because he's been on the most spaced out teams in the entire NBA, and the right. Lakers have massive spacing issues. And so it would be kind of a, a weird fit and could create some lineup dynamics, kind of like the Westbrook thing did, where there just isn't enough room for everybody to operate. But, um, you know, who are your other candidates other than Dallas? Well, I, I haven't thought very hard about what the market would be. I just, someone well, so, who's performed at that level, I, I, I can imagine yeah. other contenders being like, all right, let's roll the dice. We're all in this year. Let's bring in a guy who's tough as nails when it matters. Like, I, I could see that case being credible in a front office meeting. Okay, another question for you then. Are you underrating how toxic Draymond is right now, right? Maybe. Because Kyrie. Kyrie had to rebuild that trade value over the course of like six months, right? It wasn't quite six months. I think his anti-Semitism controversy was what? In like October, November, Mm -hmm. and then February came around, then he got traded. The problem for Draymond here is he is now suspended indefinitely. I don't think we're going to see him for a month, maybe longer. You know, there's been the joke going around like he's not coming back until the NBA signs its new TV rights deals, which is (laughs) kind of funny Um, because like he's so bad for business. Adam Silver was like, the champagne isn't even dry from the in-season tournament championship celebration. And I'm already dealing with another violent Draymond Green headline on the front of the Washington Post. But um, is it possible that the time compression here is too tight? Like if we get to February, early February, and Draymond has maybe played 10 games, if that, I mean, it's a possibility they shut him down until the All-Star break. I don't know. Um, 
I mean, that's kind of, we have to speculate because they're going to say indefinitely, and that's what you kind of get if you throw out indefinitely. Mm-hmm. Um, would teams be able to make that same kind of calculation without a recent body of work from Draymond? Because he has been ejected from three out of the 15 games he's played this year. He's got a five-game suspension under his belt. He got ejected and suspended in last year's playoffs. He punched his teammate previously. Like, this is the wildest track record we've seen from any prominent player in terms of physical aggressive behavior that I can remember. I mean, the only other guy who was like getting in this kind of trouble for violent stuff on the court that I can kind of remember was Andrew Bynum, you know, and he was young and kind of dumb and like, or Ron Artest met a world peace. I mean, I don't know who else you would put in this category. Okay. So I'll circle back to the Draymond question in a second. The one thing I never answered your Kerr question. I feel like the last couple of years, it it was Kerr struggling to get through to the young guys. And then this year it's Kerr struggling to get through to the veterans and feeling like they're not on the same page and then factor in the contract extension negotiations like Monty Williams just got 75 million. Greg Popovich oh. just got like 80 million. So I imagine his ask is pretty substantial. And I could also imagine the Warriors ownership being like, we love you, Steve. Like they're not going to ever fire yeah. him, but no, I, they're probably they're not trying say- to give him $100 million either. No, they're gonna say, look, we already paid you for 2015. You know, we're, we're looking for a coach <laughs> yeah. for 2025. We we paid you for 2016. You know, what have you done for us lately? That's a good take, and I could see that. At the same time, is he so ruthlessly, um, you know, capitalistic that he would be willing to walk away from this, you know, brilliant project that he has created? I know he's so proud of the Warriors. That would be huge. You know, yeah. like the Myers Domino going was one thing. Because he was a face of the Warriors group, but he's pretty low down the the list, you know. He's like not even top five of like the biggest personalities. I mean, Kerr is right there with Draymond and Steph in terms of mm-hmm. like the face of that Warriors group. So yeah, it would be a shame if it came down to money, but I could understand why Lakeup would say, Man, we've missed the playoffs multiple times here. We've given you everything we possibly could. Your stuff isn't working anymore. Uh, you know, we got to f- find a way to save a little money. Right. I don't think he would be necessarily wrong for doing that. I don't think that they, like Kerr has been so amazing that he has to be the highest paid coach in the NBA. I, I agree with you on that one. Yeah, that it, it, they're already losing so much money on the actual roster. I can't imagine they're thrilled about potentially like breaking the bank to right. keep Steve Kerr. So I think the combination of burnout and tense contract extension negotiations it could lead to Kerr leaving, and I, that's why I'm bracing for like seismic change over the next 12 months here so draymond though <laughs> Wait, um, this sets up the wizards giving kerr 200 million dollars over 10 years <laughs> to come and coach like a a 15 win team next year you know follow that pistons playbook andrew steve kerr welcome to alexandria um we'll get there in a moment the draymond toxicity question is a good one And in terms of his trade value, number one, I don't think the Warriors would ever trade him until the summer. Number two, I wonder what other teams know about what's underlying some of the Draymond behavior. Because the conversation, like, if you had told me Draymond was being suspended indefinitely on the heels of the Nurkic incident, I would have said, that's a 
pretty fair decision, a good decision based on what we've seen, based on how quickly he backslid after coming back from the first suspension, which was itself a message to Draymond saying, we're not going to tolerate this anymore. Clean up your act. And he couldn't do it. And in the press conference after the Nurkic thing, he came out and was like, I know I can't cost my team like this. And that's why since I've been back, you haven't seen me arguing with the refs. And I was like, I've seen you arguing with the refs since you came back. And first game back, you were going at the refs neck in that Kings game. So I, I understand why the league would suspend him indefinitely. But then the allusions to the other issues that he's dealing with, I don't know that we've seen enough in public to make that assumption in terms of like anger management or whatever it may be. Like, um, I, and so I, I imagine there is probably some real stuff behind the scenes. The question is, what exactly are those issues? Is Draymond serious about addressing any of them? And then how much does the rest of the league know about what's going on? And, uh, and how would that impact the way the league sort of projects the next couple seasons of his career? I don't have clear answers to any of those questions. And so that sort of throws a wrench in any sort of predictions in terms of what the rest of his season looks like, what the rest of his career looks like. I don't want to come off harsh, but if everybody around the league knew that Draymond had major underlying issues during the Rudy Gobert situation, and he only got a five-game suspension then, then that's a dereliction of duty by the decision-makers, right? Like, Mm. if he has these series of issues that are contributing to this kind of behavior on the court, and you've seen it happen with Poole, you've seen it happen with uh, Sabonis, and then again... He should have been out for way longer than five games. You maybe should have done this, the indefinite suspension at that point. So that's why I've got to like we can't just grant that. You know what I mean? It's like all right. Well, I understand this is kind of a convenient way to avoid making it look like here comes the NBA punishing Draymond again, right? But um, we we didn't hear any talk about that kind of stuff coming from the league or other sources in the Gobert situation when it would have been completely appropriate for that mm-hmm. kind of discussion to come up because of what he did on the court. So. We have to be at least a little bit skeptical. And obviously, you know, we, we have to respect the privacy as well. And we have to take these people at their word when they're saying it's about trying to get Draymond help. But like, there's been a need for help for a while, going mm-hmm. back to when they were trying to blame the leaker instead of Draymond for punching <laughs> pool. I mean, come on. Well, that's the thing. If this is the standard for, oh my gosh, something's going on with Draymond, we need to take steps to address this. I mean, like, because I didn't come away from the Nurkic incident being like, wow, this is way over the line and this is a real problem. It was like, this is Draymond kind of acting out again and like it was a flagrant too, like it, but it wasn't like crazy and reprehensible and like, wow, there must be something darker going on there. Um, and so if there is, then sure, he should take steps to address it. But it also just sort of seemed like Draymond being reckless and he's done it enough that, yeah, he has earned like, a 20 game type suspension, particularly given the context with this season suspension. Um, but beyond that, I, I don't really know what's going on there and, and maybe other teams do, and that would inform their decision-making. So the point on toxicity is a, uh, a good one to add as we try to forecast what might happen here. And by the way, we keep getting yeah. emails about Steph and whether he should force his way out. I'm not ready for that conversation. I do not want Steph Curry to end his team on any team but the Warriors, and his career, that is, on any team but the Warriors. Uh, but I don't know. The options to contend over the next three or four years are beginning to get 
pretty slim. Uh, I, I'm not sure yeah. what the path is. I think given the way the parity is set up in the NBA these days, the best bet is to just count that you can pivot faster than you think you can because you've got Steph Curry. And I would do what you suggested, which is pretty much clean house. Like I would not bring Clay back. I would try to trade Wiggins. I would move on from Draymond if at all possible. I personally, I would try to keep Kerr because I think there's such a strong bond between him and Curry. But if it came down to you've got to make him the highest paid coach in the NBA, I wouldn't do that either. I would mm. just try to be pitching Steph on. It's a new day, brother. You guys got that 22 uh, title. That was the end of that awesome run. Pods. We're just going to pretend this. We're going to pretend this 23-24 season uh, didn't happen, and we're going forward with fresh, and it's going to be a lighter mood, and we're going to try to just be happy if we make the uh, sixth seed or the play-in tournament because there's no expectations. There's no baggage. I think they would be much better off doing that. And, uh, you know, we'll see. We were promised light years. Mm. You know, that ownership group told us they were smarter than everybody, that they could see the future more than anybody, that they knew how to win better than anyone. And they've had a pretty rough stretch besides that championship uh, year for the last four seasons in Golden State. Yes, it's a lot of injuries. Yes, it's a lot of age. But guess what? It's basketball. You know, age and injuries affects every single team in the NBA. They have not had a lot of management answers to those kinds of questions or those kinds of problems other than hanging on, hanging on, hanging on. And uh, so let's see it, Dunleavy. It's your moment, bro. You know, yeah. step up. You only get uh, you only get one mic, right? Isn't that what Eminem says, something like that? <laughs> what did the Bible say about mics? Uh, we'll have to consult the text, <laughs> consult the album. Yeah, I know Hamilton, the Bible, all these uh, all these <laughs> amazing sources of advice in our lives. But no, this is his deal. Like, come on. Like, enough of these, like, blank face press conferences where oh yeah well we're gonna figure it out like i think it's on don levy to put his stamp on this organization and make this be a transition moment and i think it has to you know some major stuff has to change before the deadline otherwise it's going to be a really 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 long season well uh a warriors nation turns its lonely eyes to blockhead out there in the catbird seat making the calls for the future of the golden state organization good luck to mike dunleavy jr uh at this point i have officially filibustered long enough we can talk about the wizards ryan says hey guys news broke this week that the wizards are planning to move to virginia i'd love to hear andrew's opinion on this and then Misha says, Andrew, it's time to put Leonsis and Monumental on blast. First, they let Ernie Grunfeld have a job for way too long. Then they give out Albatross contracts to Gilbert, John, and Beal. Then they take shady Qatari money. Then they trade for maybe the worst starter in the league in Jordan Poole. And now the Wizards are moving to Virginia. Andrew, Ben... This is terrible for the city of D.C., fans of the team, and just encourages billionaires to partner with forgettable state governors and bully their way into shiny clinical venues that are devoid of personality and take forever to reach in boring areas. Parentheses. Sorry, Alexandria, but it's true. Please help mobilize whatever remains of a wizard's community against this idea. Andrew, I'm sending you a bullhorn to help organize people in front of Capital One. I would love to see you and Wale leading a protest on opening night. 
Misha, his... save our whiz, save our whiz. <laughs> <laughs> I can't can't see it, man. I can't see that particular scene developing. His list of grievances leaves out something I was reminded of last night, which is the Wizards took Corey Kisper one spot in front of Alpi Sengun, my new favorite player, and two spots in front of Trey Murphy, who was hitting like thirty foot bombs all night against the. Wizards JV roster that they're rolling out every single night. I guess it's the varsity roster. Um, but Trey Murphy, I love watching that dude. Brandon Ingram also put up 40 on Wednesday. So some silver linings for me as I was mourning the departure of my favorite basketball team. Um, I have a lot of mixed emotions on this topic, Ben, but in general, watching from afar, is there any aspect of the story that jumps out as most interesting to you as an NBA observer who's reasonably objective? Well, I was um, thinking maybe we should even do like a whole episode about this because I feel there's so many layers to it. But my first question for you was, do you remember when they moved from, it was like Landover mm-hmm. to D.C.? It was like in the late 90s. Was like that like a big deal? What was it like? When are, Is the city embracing the team? Because you have this whole DMV deal but the D hates the V and the M. The M definitely hates the D and the V. The V don't get along with the D and the M. Like they all seem like they hate each other, right? And so it, it almost feels like this situation is like a relocation, not just a like, oh, we're changing stadiums. Because by going from the district to Virginia, it's like you're bailing on the city, right? Mm-hmm. You're bailing on fans in the city. Uh, it feels like you're leaving them behind because of you know the whole like city versus suburb dynamic, and so I was just curious like was it a big deal when the team got into the district in the first place, and am I reading it right that the tensions between the D, the M, and the V are pretty pretty deep, right? Yeah, I mean, there are definitely tensions there. I do remember when they moved from Landover to downtown D.C., the MCI Center is what it was called back then, and it was actually a a big part of just urban renewal more generally for that area of the city, and it was an example of a stadium actually anchoring progress in that part of the city. Um, And oftentimes the impact is oversold when people are like, yeah, you should invest in X because it'll do Y uh, in the surrounding neighborhoods. That actually happened in Chinatown. Um, And I was actually at the first game. It was the Wizards versus the Seattle Supersonics uh, and Vin Baker. So a reminder that it could definitely be worse as far as your favorite basketball team relocating. But yes, I was in the building. Yes, it was a big deal locally. And yes, the impact that it had in that downtown area is part of what's driving the angst as the Wizards now look to relocate to Potomac Yards in Alexandria. Um, And in terms of just a baseline for anybody who's curious as to why that's controversial, because obviously it's only like a few miles away outside of the city limits, but not far outside of the city limits. Um, no, but it's not convenient though, right? Like, I mean, that's good. Those are a big four miles, I'm guessing. That's the thing. The two areas are close, but they're very culturally distinct. Like if you're going to a big playoff game in downtown D.C., You'll see people playing go-go music outside the stadium. There's a bunch of great bars and restaurants, and, and you're encountering a pretty diverse set of people 
because you can easily metro in from anywhere in the area. So it's this central location. It turns into a very DC experience. And if you're in Alexandria, the proposal they came up with is to put the wizard stadium across from like a giant target and a bunch of new apartment buildings. So there's really not that much character in that area. Um, Northern Virginia has recently become like a hot spot for a bunch of giant corporations who have opened offices there. It's very close to That's our government. Really expensive to live there now too, right? Like the, the the prices have just gone through the roof, am I right? Yeah, and and it's just generally an ascendant area. There's a, a lot of lobbying that goes on there. Um, it, it's less eclectic and less convenient, but it is also a, a version of the Washington area. So I don't want to like downplay that. Um, I just think a lot of people, when they sort of romanticize Washington, are imagining the downtown experience and not the Alexandria lobbyists like Amazon headquarters experience. Uh, but right. they're they're both part of the area. Uh, and so that's why a lot of people are um, frustrated right now. Does that make sense? It does. It reminds me a little bit of people in Manhattan who are like, oh, I would never cross the Brooklyn Bridge to go do something, right? Like, you know, they lay it on a little bit thick, but it actually is like way less convenient. So this idea of like, oh, I'm going to take six extra metro stops to get down to this arena in the middle of nowhere and then like, okay, cool, it's got a target or whatever. That's not exactly what I'm trying to do before or after a game. So maybe they're going to put up, you know, America's most chain chain restaurants, the kind of places that appeal directly to me. Uh, it's probably not going to appeal to most fans. I, I get why that would be, uh, you know, frustrating for sure. I think um, these politicians who are involved in these negotiations have been catching heat. You know, the D.C. mayor, obviously, oh, you're going to let these teams go. What's wrong with you? And and uh, Virginia's governor, Yunkin, like, oh, you know, is this really going to work out? Is this going to be a, a worthwhile deal? How are we feeling about Ted's negotiation skills here and like his ability to bring, to bring this thing to fruition? Is it a possibility at all that he's trying to play these two sides to kind of get the best deal and then he winds up with no home? Because didn't that keep happening to Daniel Snyder, the owner of the Washington Commanders? Like he keeps saying, I need a new place, I need a new place. And then everybody just like, you know, we're never actually going to let you move anywhere. And Mm -hmm. he's kind of been stuck in this dumpy uh, stadium forever, if I'm not mistaken. Obviously, he's had to sell the team since then. But is... Ted trying to get slick here. Is it possible it just blows up in his face? Is it, or have you already decided this team is gone? Um, my gut is that this team is gone, uh, and I do think that there probably was an opportunity to keep them in DC had DC been more willing to negotiate over the summer. And I don't think they took the Virginia threat seriously. And now there has been enough momentum in the Virginia direction that I think everyone at Monumental actually wants to make that move. And and I do think that is where this will end up. But I also don't know, and I'm purely speculating as an right, outsider. Right, right. Um, well, I'm just saying, uh, based on Ted's track record of deal-making, I guess is what I'm saying. Like, if he's, this is the guy who can't pull together a deal trade for five years, and this is the guy who, <laughs> you know, like, took, took on Russell Westbrook when nobody else wanted Russell Westbrook. I'm going to go right down the list, you know, and, and the people he's hired to run his teams – as it was laid out in the email, I think when you're talking about billion dollar um, projects, you know, architectural projects, uh, you know, city development projects, like somebody like Balmer, 
Yeah, I know he's going to get it done. He's going to get it done on time. The Intuit mm-hmm. Dome will open when it's supposed to open, and it's going to be the best arena in basketball. I could just, you know, I have faith that he's going to be able to do that. With Ted, to me, it seems like you've got the dread of a team that I like in my district being taken from me, and like you don't want to get your hopes up that like somehow that light could be re-extinguished down the road. But I can't imagine there's any Ted stands out there who are like, yes, this is absolutely going to work. Lock and be it awesome. in. <laughs> yeah, like this done deal. Like that doesn't exist, right? Yeah, I, I, I also don't know enough about Virginia politics. I have people who do say, look, this is step one, but it's by no means a foregone conclusion. I, I feel like there are enough like stakeholders out there who are invested in making this work that it has a good chance. Um, but there's like the Alexandria City Council. The neighborhood is oh. irate that they're trying to do this. And so there are a lot of variables still in play out there as well. And of course, D.C., really wants these guys to stay. So they're not giving up hope by any means. I watched an entire press conference with the mayor of D.C. uh, a couple days ago, and she's not writing this off as a done deal by any means. So Baltimore's slogan was like crab cakes of football, right? I think D.C.'s slogan is cherry blossoms and red tape. So Mm. good luck, bro. (laughs) I, I, I think that could be a while until they figure this out. I think they were targeting 2028, which seems an awfully long time into the future. So I think maybe that's the best case scenario. What's amazing to me, though, is he's doing this move at a moment where the fan base is probably rock bottom in terms of like trust yep. in the ownership group, trust in the front office. You're going through this rebuild. The team's been so unserious and at times laughable. You just went through a five-year saga of do you trade Bradley Beal or not, and now you're stepping directly into a soul-sucking five-year saga of are they going to move or are they going to not? Not. I mean, that is just so anti-fan in that particular situation and that's why i don't even know how much the wizards factor in here like do you feel like they're just kind of along for the ride because of the capitals like if they put this building up in northern virginia are you going to still go to games are people who are going to games Mm. currently because it's located in the district actually going to still want to go obviously people made the transition from landover to dc but i'm sure they lost people where Landover was more convenient for them, right? Like you're going to have to kind of shift and cultivate and reorient your fan base probably around a lot of those Virginia lobbyists. And look, those guys charge by the hour. Are they going to set aside (laughs) four hours to go watch them just get absolutely drilled by every single team, by 30, 40 points every single night, given the state of the current Wizards and how they've been for the last five or 10 years? I guess my question is, could... As depressing as it's been downtown, you know, with all this talk about, you know, lots of empty seats and no fan base supporting it and oh, yeah. some rising crime, rising crime concerns in downtown. That's not specific just to D.C. I see that in every single city I go to. And a lot of times these days, I actually do stay in the suburbs or by the airports for safety reasons because, you know, the pandemic just did a number on a lot of cities, unfortunately. Yeah. And you're uh, walking around at like midnight after filing and stuff. Yeah. Right. With, you know, uh, phone and a laptop, and as I told you, at least $200 in my pocket, right? So you know, I got a lot to lose, Andrew. Um, but what I'm saying is, could this really backfire from a Wizards fan perspective? Because if they're not the priority of the project, they're not taking it to a basketball hotbed. Virginia's had a ton of great basketball players, but Virginia's a huge state. Like People really underrate how big Virginia is mm-hmm. and like where the population centers are. 
I don't remember a lot of guys coming out of Alexandria, uh, which, by the way, <laughs> I've had a, a really good time touring, you know, the old, uh, old, the old cobblestone roads. Oh, it's great. <laughs> you know, you got to keep your head on a swivel out there in Old Town Alexandria, and you never know when Washington might ride by on a horse. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, it, it feels like that 18th century, the good old days. Um but you're getting my point here is like, are the Wizards and Wizards fans going to get left behind? And is it going to, is this really going to do real damage to them from this move? Because there's so much uncertainties, uh, real questions about the location, and there's just already bad blood. They're doing this at a moment when people aren't bought in, right? People yeah. aren't excited. That feels like a dangerous proposition. And I, I'm wondering if the whole risk calculation doesn't matter for the Wizards because they don't win. And he's convinced, well, people will come to see the Capitals because the Capitals win. They have a real fan base, and they'll probably be popular wherever you put them. What do you think? Well, I think – so we can go full, like, therapist's office on this one. I think your point is is well taken, and frankly, it's been overlooked in some of the conversations about this move – how grim the current culture is like axios i was reading some axios newsletter today and they wrote about the lively wizards fan base let me tell you something <laughs> wednesday night lively. against the fucking pelicans it was not very lively in that building and that's sort of where things have been for a while um but more generally i i just am Speaking as a Wizards fan and as a DC lifer, um, I have really complicated emotions about all this because, like, to take people inside the process here, the DC government has done a terrible job governing the city the past several years. And the leaders at the mayor's office and the city council almost certainly misplayed their hand with these negotiations. And then you zoom out, like the crime in D.C. is the worst it's been in my entire life. And the area around the Wizards Stadium is, it's not so unsafe that you feel unsafe going to games. But I think the combination of rising crime and then remote work during COVID has really killed a lot of the local businesses around that stadium. And so the neighborhood is just not as vibrant as it used to be. And the Wizards and Caps, they did play a really important role sort of revitalizing things 25 years ago. And that's why it's really dumb that the D.C. government wasn't working harder to get a new stadium deal done for the Wizards, get them more police for games and and just generally work with them more effectively. Like there was all this tension a couple years ago. The, The Wizards, I believe, were the last team in the NBA to be able to have fans in the building because of covid policies and there's just i i imagine that there was a lot of bureaucratic friction that the wizards ran into on a pretty regular basis dealing with the dc government and so layer on top the dc government spending the last year or so trying to recruit the commanders to town and and that's a team that plays in a different area of the city and they'll give you eight sundays a year but like the the wizards and caps give dc 80 home games a year and are worth saving if it's possible to save them. Um, so that's all to say that like, to the extent this is a slap in the face to the city council and the mayor and a bunch of policy failures over the last couple of years, I understand it. And um, I understand where the wizards were coming from looking across the river and saying, look, this is just a better business decision for us. Now, on the other hand, Regardless of how screwed up the D.C. government is, 
the Wizards move, to your point, it's going to be bad for DC. It's going to be bad for Wizards fans. It's also probably going to be bad for the Wizards themselves. Like they, they have no culture. They have no identity. And I just can't imagine they're going to go out to Alexandria and take Northern Virginia by storm. And, and so, uh, like, nor I, does Northern Virginia want to be taken by storm, right? Northern Virginia is just kind of there. It's, it's not there's there's no culture there. Suburb, yeah. yeah. And look, hey, I get a little touchy when people say like Target isn't culture. Target, <laughs> look, I spent a lot of hours in Targets in my day, and I actually happen to like Alexandria. And, um, you know, Arlington National Cemetery, I think it's, uh, you know, absolutely one of the most hallowed grounds in the country. Like there are things there. But, it, you know, when you're talking about a, a professional sports franchise, obviously the nickname is important. But that first name is really, really important. That city name. Right. Mm-hmm. It gives and, and teams spend a lot of time thinking about this. Right. Like the Golden State Warriors instead of the San Francisco Warriors. Right. Like you, you want to label the Utah Jazz instead of Salt Lake City Jazz. Like teams really think long and hard about that. Look no further than the Anaheim Angels of Los Angeles, the most convoluted thing ever because they're trying to kind of compete with everybody and, and make everyone happy. I don't think you can have the Washington Wizards of Alexandria. I don't think you can have the Virginia Wizards. I don't think you can have the Alexandria Wizards. So I think it's going to be the Washington Wizards not in Washington. And that is such a convoluted brand message. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like people are not going to respond well to that at all. They already hate your team name. They already want to go back to the bullets <laughs> and the other. You know, the, the second part of that name is already screwed up. And now they're screwing up the first part. It feels really potentially damaging, man. I'm not trying to just be, uh, you know, the, the sky is falling here. But the trend that we've seen in NBA arenas has been downtown revitalization, build the entertainment district around them. You can look across the league. All of the new buildings have had that same philosophy. It's what the Wizards did in the first place back in the late 90s, which is why I asked you about that. This, it would be Leonce's zagging when everybody else is zigging. You know what I mean? Like he's going completely the opposite direction. And it doesn't like unless their their numbers or their their fan base says we have a huge chunk of our season ticket holders within like a five mile radius of uh, Alexandria, which would be hard to believe because I bet you an awful lot of their season ticket holders live in D.C. I bet they'll sell luxury boxes more effectively in that area than they are in D.C. or at least they don't expect to struggle yeah. in that area. Um, but yeah, I'm sure the majority of the That's- fan base is probably in D.C. Well, look, you can have you can't win titles with empty luxury boxes. I can promise you that it's not going to work, right? So, um, I think that he's going the wrong direction. All the other smartest owners have looked for city arenas, right? Uh, Golden State did it, Bomber did it. You just go right down the list. Detroit moved back from the suburbs to the city because they were having issues out in the suburbs, right? Like this has happened over and over again. So. To me, this doesn't feel like Ted has outsmarted the rest of the league. Mm -hmm. It just feels like he's trying to make a money grab. And sometimes those blow up in your face over the long haul. And uh, I could see a lot of people being alienated by this. Like, how many games do you go per year this year versus how many would you go to if it was in Arlington? And I think you're on the west side, right? So it's relatively closer compared to some other people. But, like, does this change things for you? It does change things for me, and it's why it's so frustrating. Like, I, I and when you project forward and mention Leonsis and what they're trying to build, 
again, I like I think my take at the end of the day is that I can understand the logic of this move in isolation and it's a reasonable business decision on its own if the DC government's giving you a really hard time and you just feel like it's this fight that never ends and they're not putting up the money until they finally see that you do intend to move to Virginia and it just it's a dysfunctional back and forth whatever. So maybe you make the decision. The thing is though to your point, like Monumental has not come anywhere close to earning the benefit of the doubt over the last 10 or 15 years. They've failed over and over and over again to invest in the sort of infrastructure that would actually create culture and make people excited about the team. And over the past few years, it's gotten worse and worse and worse. And they've slowly drained the organization of like any character or charm. So in that way, Potomac Yards is like perfect in Alexandria for what this team (laughs) has become. It's just so generic and and kind of a waste of everyone's time. Um, And so, yeah, when you really get down to it, there's a, I hope I'm wrong, but there's a good possibility that this is a move where everyone is going to lose. And I, I guess my ultimate take is that people in Washington deserve better than the DC government and they deserve better than monumental sports. And I wish Leonsis felt more of a social responsibility to, to the city, but I'm also not naive enough to expect that he would. So I wish the DC government would have been a little bit more proactive in trying to yeah. work with a pretty important business. Um, and for me personally, like, I I was lucky enough to grow up with semi-regular access to Wizards tickets, and I would just take the Metro down in 20 minutes and be at NBA games, or at least like technically NBA games, or some pretty dark Wizards years there. But I really did kind of dream about grabbing little Charles and taking him down to a bunch of Wizards games. And the setup that they've proposed here looks pretty inconvenient and actually getting to games looks like it'll be a huge pain in the ass and you're also talking about a much more sterile environment than the wizards had in downtown dc um i can't imagine i'm gonna go to more than like two or three games per season uh but i don't i don't know i don't want to like write that possibility off in its entirety but between projecting ahead in that respect and then also looking at this as sort of a grim reality check in terms of what's happening to downtown where like there's empty storefronts and crime and everyone's working remotely as just sort of like a broader social trend that's incredibly depressing and now punctuated by this news like i was genuinely sad the last couple of days and so i i don't really have like super strong takes except that it's just all pretty depressing well, I think the good news is Charlie will probably be out of high school before they actually get this thing built, if they ever get built. So, <laughs> or they're you know, playing playoff maybe, games in like yeah, 2040. Yeah. yeah. So maybe you can still cling to those good memories. What's that crappy pizza you love to get when you go to the games again? Uh, it's uh, like Papa your, your John's. highlight of going. Yeah. So, you know, you can still probably share a couple Papa John slices or mini pies with Charlie before uh, this whole thing is over. <laughs> um, and then you have, you know, you could look forward to maybe a nice dinner at Bubba Gump, family mm. dinner with, you know, bring Alice. The you know, three of you guys can get a nice booth and have a, you know, some nice shrimp scampi or something like that <laughs> before you hit the game. It's going to be so awesome. You guys uh, can go shop for like uh, cleaning supplies at Target afterwards. It's going to be phenomenal experience. Um, yeah, no, I think that what you were saying on 
not having the benefit of the doubt and, you know, skepticism towards both the local polit- politicians, but also Leonsis, like, I think what's really bothering some of the people that I've read in these articles is this idea that he did try to kind of put lip service on this idea of we love DC. You oh, see their hashtag sure. right now. The hashtag is for the district. How embarrassing is that to, for your team hashtag to be for the district as you're trying to move out of the district? That's like Oakland Raiders, Las Vegas Raiders level, <laughs> uh, like FUs to your fans, right? And then on top of that, remember their, their city edition jerseys they made a huge deal about was all about the the district diamond and like it's these literally about the, the boundaries of the district and the historical right. like landmarks or whatever they're gonna have to play naked next year because they're leaving those boundaries they're just gonna be out there with no clothes on playing <laughs> basketball games because the boundary markers no longer apply in this uh, virginia wizard scenario so i think you know it's it's kind of in a lot of ways like outrageous and from an outsider's perspective it's like i really can't believe it's this bad yeah. um but when you look at the co- the product that's been on the court for the last 10 or 15 years i guess it's one of those things where i guess it's not really that surprising but i feel for you i feel for the wizards fans and i should admit up front that is one of i think like two or three buildings of the current buildings that i've actually never been to a game at mm. um and uh, i guess i got five years now i better check it <laughs> off my list before before it goes but it yeah it was a, a sad development it felt like it really came on quick here these last two or three days like it went from zero to a hundred and um i don't know i i guess i'm on the skeptical side man i i will i'll believe it when i see it you know when there's a nice beautiful sparkling brand new arena uh surrounded by you know a cheesecake factory and a pf chang's <laughs> Uh, and then yeah. I will say, all right, he got this thing done, and I'll take a nice a long stroll down the cobblestones of downtown Alexandria, and I'll say, man, you know, salute to Ted Leonsis. He really figured this thing out. But until that day, I'm going to just be waiting for something to go wrong. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, uh, to the for the district point you mentioned, um, yeah, when things are going well and, and when the Wizards or Caps were winning and Ted was making a lot of money, he was the first guy to act like the white knight savior of the city, the the sports owner that everyone can love alongside Dan Snyder. And so, yeah, it's pretty frustrating to watch them just sort of sneak off to greener pastures in Potomac Yards, uh, get excited, DMV. Um, but beyond that, what an entertaining disaster this is going to be the next three or four years and, and the dc government <laughs> no, the endless it's going to be endless like you just got through the building that's why i actually feel the worst for you and the wizards fans you just wrapped the Beal deal, which went on for five years. And this will take longer because I've gone through this with the uh, Intuit Dome here in Inglewood, like all the different checkpoints of the process. You know, we broke ground. We did this. We did that. It's been going on for so long. And a lot of that time flew by because it was the pandemic, right? Like it's crazy to think about a five, six year construction uh, process and where you're going to be in your life you know, five or six years from now. Mm. I mean, Charlie's going to be speaking three languages <laughs> by the time this thing goes up. And like, no, honestly. You know so what he's going to be you know, speaking? He's going to be speaking French because Bilal is still there <laughs> in D.C., who, probably an all-NBA guy by 2028 when they're opening that building in Alexandria. Uh, no, it, it is interesting, though, like, the government handled this whole process like the Wizards front office would have because they didn't scout the Virginia competition, didn't take that threat seriously whatsoever. They didn't gauge the market. Zero foresight here. 
And then Poor at, defense. at the 11th hour, they're playing defense, putting together some half-assed offer to try to save face and make it look like the Wizards are the evil billionaires or whatever. I, I am upset with everyone involved in this process, and um, I do hope that they can salvage downtown. If the Wizards leave, what's happening to downtown is a broader trend and is just yes. really upsetting to me. Um, so in any event... Uh, Pistons, we promised a Pistons segment, but lo and behold, Pistons fans, turns out you don't root for the most depressing team in the NBA in 2023. (laughs) We will double back and discuss your awful team next week, but the Wizards out of nowhere reminded everybody that they are at rock bottom here. Um, My one question before we sign off, League Pass Book Club, Pistons at Sixers? They play Friday night, uh, or Pistons at Bucks. They play at 6 p.m. Saturday night. Do you have a preference for book club? All right, and that is the end of the free preview. If you'd like to hear the rest of this episode and get two episodes every week from me, Andrew Sharp, and Ben Goliver, you can go to greatestofalltalk.com and subscribe to the show.